Ça. That is loud, isn't it? Romans chapter 7, please. It's a bit loud. Let's look, Lord, in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can join together in this place. We thank you, Father God, that you are a great and wonderful God. We thank you that you gave to us your word. And through your word, Father God, you give to us instruction. You reveal yourself to us. And Lord, you reveal your son to us. And we thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ and his death upon the cross of Calvary that we might be saved. And we do pray that, Lord, today now as we take time out from our work a week, we pray that, Lord, you would guide as we come around the refreshing waters of the word of God, that, Lord, you would refresh us through your word. You'd encourage us by your word. And we pray that, Father, you'd be exalted in your word today. <clears throat> Lord, uh, help each of us to receive your word with thanksgiving. Enable me, Father God, to speak your word in truth. And uh, may today uh, that which is said be clear and understandable, and may it be from you. And may, Father God, today you receive all the praise and all the glory as we join together in this place, in Jesus' name. Amen. We saw last week uh, here in Romans chapter 7 that we've come to an interesting part of the chapter in verses 20, uh, 14 to 25. For in these last verses of this chapter, Paul describes for us the struggle that goes on in the, within the life of every born-again believer. And first he describes for us or explains that the law cannot change us in verse 14. And he gave us the dilemma caused by the law of sin in verses, seven, uh, verses 15 to 20 in chapter 7. And now in verses 21 to 25, Paul tries to analyze what is happening in this struggle by identifying the factors that are at play in our lives. And first he analyzes the dynamics of the law of sin, the dynamics of the law of sin, verses 21 to 23. He says, I find that a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. The apostle effectively says here, this is my experience. I want you to understand my experience. I want you to understand what I experience as a believer. And he says he sees that there is a principle working in him. Indeed, it's so constant, this principle that works in his life, he deems to call it a law. In verse 21, he says, I delight, uh, so verse 21, I find in a law, a law, literally the law. This is the rule, this is the principle that work in him. And when he wills to do good, he says, evil is present with him. The principle working in him is this. When I do, would do good, evil is present with me. I find this law within me, I find this principle within me, and the principle is this, that when I want to do good, I find that evil is present with me. It's always there. It's always at hand. One commentator put it this way, whenever I will, do good, uh, will to do good, evil is always there. Evil's always asserting itself, jumping forward. 
The moment that I will do good, evil is there. And this principle, this law exists in every born again believer. Every one of us here today who knows Jesus Christ as Savior, everyone watching online who knows Jesus Christ as Savior, this principle, this law operates in our lives. And unfortunately, it's a principle that will operate and will exist until you and I are taken home to glory and you and I will receive a glorified body. That's the reality of the Christian life. This principle, this law is ever present with us. When we fight, would do good, evil is present with me. It's ever present with us. So that we can find even at the most inopportune time, we have thoughts that aren't appropriate. You know, you and I could be even reading God's word and some of the worst thoughts that we can think of may come to our minds while we're reading God's word. The reality is that the believer has the flesh with him that wants to keep us in bondage. One comment I'll illustrate it this way. The Christian thinks, I'll get free from these old sins. I'll determine here and now that I will not do this any longer. What happens? He exerts all his willpower and energy and for a time succeeds, but then when he least expects it, he falls again. That's the principle that's at work in the life of Paul. That's the principle that's at work in the life of each and every one of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior. This principle operates that when you and I least expect it, often you and I will fall. In verses 23 and 24, uh, sorry, verses 22 and 23, Paul goes on to explain this further. He wants to explain now or to unpack what he's just said in verse 21. And he says in verse 22, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. He says, I delight. Now this is more than just I agree with the law. The idea here is I rejoice in the law. And the reason we rejoice in the Lord, because he knows the law is holy, just, and good. That's verse 12 of this chapter. He says, wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Paul says, I rejoice in the law. I love the law. The law of God is something wonderful. There is nothing bad about God's law. Read all the Old Testament. Read all the New Testament. Read all the commands of God, and no one, not one of God's commands is grievous unto us. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. In fact, if you and I could live by the law of God, live perfectly by that law every day, you and I would have a great life. Because the law is good. The law is holy. The law is just. There's nothing wrong with the law. So Paul says, I delight in that law. I rejoice in it. And he says he delights in the law in the inward man. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. He's speaking about the saved condition. He says, in my inward man, inside me, I want to do what's right. And this word inward man is the Greek word from which we also get the word within or inner. He delights in the, within himself in the law of God. And here we see the difference between the saved and the unsaved. The unsaved within them is the sin nature. Go with me to Mark chapter 7, please. Mark chapter 7. 
Mark chapter 7 and verse 21. It says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. So from within the unsaved comes sin. That which is generated from inside the unsaved man is sin because he has a sin nature. But for the saved, the difference is that within the inner man, the new nature, the new nature exists. And with that new nature, we want to do the will of God. Ephesians, please. Chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. We're strengthened by might through his spirit in the inner man. In the inner self, in the, within the unsaved, is the old sin nature with a passion for unrighteousness. Within the saved is the new nature which rejoices in, delights in the law of God. That's the difference between the two of us. And the place where we delight is in the inner man. And then in verse 23, he introduces to us another law. He says this, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Another law. So within the saved person, within the born-again believer, there is this law, this truth, that we delight to do the law of God with the desire because of the new nature is to do the will of God, but in the life of the believer, there is another law at work. And this law is found in my members, he says in verse 23. You see another law in my members. The members here are the, the flesh, the body. If you go back to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you obey in the lust thereof, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. We've already talked about this word members being our body. And he refers to it again here. He says, I find another law within my members, within my body, within my flesh. I find another law. And this law, he says, is warring against the law of my mind. The phrase warring against is in the present tense. And what he's saying is this law is constantly warring against the law of my mind. This is a continual battle. Now, what's the law of the mind? Well, the law of the mind is, verse 22, the law of God. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. So, the law of my mind, my mind, by my mind as a believer, I want to do the will of God. My passion, my desire is to do the will of God. But warring against my desire, my new nature's desire to do the will of God, warring against that is this other law. And it's constantly warring against it. It's constantly attacking it. 
This other law constantly wars against the law of God, against the concept of right, against righteousness, against holiness, against obedience to God. This is the battle that's happening in every believer's life. And Paul says also that this law is constantly, present tense, bringing, leading me captive to the law of sin. That is what he says. He says, I see another law in my members, warring against, continually warring against the law of my mind, and continually bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. This is the battle. My mind wants to serve God, but my flesh wants to serve sin. It's like my mind has as ally the law of God, verse 22. And the law of sin has as its ally this other law, verse 23. Here's the two laws that are working in my life and your life as believers. This other law, verse 23, is the pull of sin. Which wants to always bring me into the captivity of the law of sin indwelling sin in my flesh. This is the pull of my flesh. It wants me to continually go and disobey, wants me to sin, wants me to fall into iniquity. The flesh simply desires those fleshly things. But my mind wants to obey God. And if we're honest... Every one of us here today know the Savior will acknowledge that this pull exists in us. Because it's the reality for all of us. This is the principle that happens for every single born-again believer till we get to glory. This law, this other law, is working in us, in our flesh, seeking to get you and I to disobey God, while at the same time our minds, our new nature, wants to obey God. And the reality is that sometimes you and I will lose the battle. The truth is our mind gives in. It surrenders to the pull of sin and we feel we are at the mercy of the flesh that is driven by the law of sin. One commentator put it this way, for us to remain uncaptured, undefeated, is a warfare. A struggle of monumental, monumental dimensions. We're in a struggle and a warfare of monumental dimensions. There is a law of the mind. And there is a law in our flesh. And a law, that law wars against the law of our mind. One commentator explained it this way. The word warring is a very interesting one. Its original meaning is to render service in a military campaign. It derives from the Greek word from which our word strategy comes. That is a very good way of looking at it. Here then is the man, this man, with his mind delighting in the law of God, but there is another law operating in his members which has a fiendish, devilish strategy. It is always watching the moves of the other law in his mind and is countering every move. It has a definite strategy and wages a kind of military campaign. The law of the flesh is waging a military campaign against the law of our mind. And Paul says that as certainly as he delights in the law of God with his mind and wants to do 
good, do what the law of God says, then this other law that is in his members, in his flesh, urges him to do the opposites. And it doesn't play fair. Because, see, the law of the flesh disguises sin as something nice. It doesn't play fair. It doesn't tell you that sin is going to hurt you. It doesn't tell you that sin is going to harm you. It doesn't tell you that sin is going to damage you. What it says is this is good for you. You see, if it didn't think it was good for us, we didn't get some buzz out of it, we wouldn't want to do it. Sin is appealing. Hebrews tells us about Moses and he rejected the pleasure of sin for a season. The pleasure of sin. Sin is pleasurable. You and I would not be tempted to sin if the flesh did not make it look appealing. It doesn't play this game fair. It doesn't play this warfare fair. It's using, uh, wrong, uh, using terrible tactics to get you and I to sin. It appeals to the flesh. The flesh looks at it. It sees that it's, it's pleasant in the eyes as it did with Eve. And you and I partake of it because it looks good. And as believers, we want in our mind to serve the Lord. And in our mind, we want to serve the law of God. But this other law, this other power brings out all its forces, all of its reserves to prevent us doing so. Tempting us to do exactly the opposite to that which we want to do. And it's this constant warring. That Paul often fell into the captivity to the law of sin that caused Paul to write in verse 24, O wretched man that I am. So having explained to us the dynamics of the law of sin, Paul now explains the deliverance from the law of sin in Romans chapter 7 verse 24 through Romans chapter 8 and verse 7. It's from here in Romans chapter 7 verse 24 through Romans chapter 8 verse 7 that Paul shows us how through Jesus Christ we can have deliverance from the law of sin. And we're not going to look into Romans chapter 8 at the moment. We're just going to consider Romans chapter 7 verse 24 and 25. And so in Romans chapter 4, 7 verse 24 we read, O wretched man that I am. The word wretched here means miserable, afflicted. One who has endured severe labor and hardships. It means to be harassed. As Paul looks at his life and he looks at the, the condition of his life and he knows in the mind he wants to obey the law of God and wants to do the will of God, but he knows the pull of the flesh continually causes him to disobey God, he says, I'm a wretched man, I'm miserable, I'm harassed by that flesh. It won't leave me alone. I'm sick to death of sinning. I'm sick to death of not having the victory. I'm sick to death of the fighting and losing. I'm harassed. In fact, the Greek word indicates a person who is exhausted after a battle. He says, I am worn out. I am tired of fighting. Ever feel like that? <laughs> ever, feel, ever feel like in your Christian life, Sometimes you think, I'm just tired of the battle with the flesh. I do. Paul did. I'm sure you do too. Tired. 
He's a man under attack, constant attack. And it's causing him misery. It's hard to believe, isn't it? The great apostle Paul is struggling with his spiritual life. This man who knows the law of God because he's a Jew, who loves the law of God because he's saved, he has a new nature, he wants to do the law of God, but the flesh constantly pulls at him to do the wrong thing. And he's miserable, tired, and he's had enough. What could be more wretched than exerting your energy, all your energy, to try to do good, to try to live a good life, only to discover that the best that you do, all the effort you put in, is still not good enough to have the victory. And that's the reality of all of us. You and I, in ourselves, in our, in our own efforts, you and I can strive to try and dis, to disavow the, the flesh and say we want nothing to do with the flesh and seek to live by the law of God and walk in a, in a way by keeping rules and regulations and laws and living the legalistic life, but sooner or later the flesh will get us. And we'll be weary in the battle. It's in this miserable condition that Paul cries out in verse 24, Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He wants deliverance from this body of death, from this body that is dying from the flesh. This is the battle that Martin Luther had even when he was locked himself away in his monk's cloister. His answer was to whip his body with his rosary beads until his back bled, but it was to no avail. On this matter of the body of death, Spurgeon says this, it was the custom of ancient tyrants when they wished to put men to the most fearful punishments to tie a dead body to them, place the two back to back. And there was the living man with a dead body closely strapped to him, rotting, putrid, corrupting. And this he must drag with him wherever he went. Now this is just what the Christian has to do. He has with him the new life. He has a living and undying principle which the Holy Spirit has put within him. But he feels that every day he has to drag about with him this dead body, the body of death, a thing as loathsome, as hideous, as abominable to his new life as the dead, stinking carcass would be to a living man. Paul longs to be cut free from the wretched body of death clinging to him. That this week, and I thought that was a pretty apt illustration. I feel like that sometimes. You're walking around seeking to do the will of God, and you're carrying around with you this rotting flesh, this carcass of the old man, of the flesh that we walk around with. The old man's dead, but we still carry his carcass around. He's not buried yet. When you and I are glorified, he's going to be buried, gone for good. But right now, you and I have to carry him around with us. From time to time, he causes you and I to want to do the wrong thing. And Paul longs to be cut free from this wretched body of death. And the question remains, is there any deliverance? So wretched man, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Well, immediately upon asking the question, Paul gives the answer. Who can deliver me? 
Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The deliverance is through Jesus Christ. Because you and I as believers are united to Christ. Because you and I as believers have died with Christ. We are dead to the law. We're no longer under the authority of the law. We're dead to sin. You and I have been set free. We're no longer under the dominion of sin. We're no longer under the authority of the law. We're now in Christ Jesus. And in him we can have the victory. We're alive. And we're able to draw upon the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of the Holy Spirit for the victory. Now the extensive explanation of this victory that is given to you and I is contained in Romans chapter 8. Now for obvious reasons we don't have time to go through Romans chapter 8 today to explain the extensiveness of the victory that's ours. But the point of the matter is that as he sets up Romans chapter 8 here, he's just finalised telling you and I that we are, in Romans chapter 6 he's told us our position in Christ. In Romans chapter 7 he's told us that there is a struggle going on. In Romans chapter 8 he's going to tell us how to have the victory through the Holy Spirit. Because of our union with Jesus Christ. And he ends verse 25 by saying, So then with the mind I myself serve the Lord of God, but the flesh the Lord of sin. The final sense of this chapter does not teach that the believer lives a divided life. Sinning with his flesh and serving God with his mind. There are two laws, two different laws in view here. The law of God and the law of sin. And our minds as believers are renewed in Christ. We have a new nature. Our minds are being renewed daily by the word of God and therefore you and I want to obey the law. You and I are slaves to the law of God. In our minds. And if you are saved today, I know that you know this struggle with your mind. We all want to do the will of God. In all honesty, if we said, who do you want to obey, the flesh or God, we'd all say God. Do you want to sin or do you want to live righteously? We'd all say live righteously. This is the desire of our hearts. This is the desire of our minds. With our minds we want to serve the law of God. But the flesh is a slave to sin. This old flesh still loves sin. This old flesh still loves wickedness. This old flesh still loves to disobey the law of God. And you and I as believers must realize that there is a very real struggle that's going on in our lives between the flesh and the spirit. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5, please. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fill the lust of the flesh. 
For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to another. So that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. You see, there's a very real war going on between the flesh and the spirit. Verse 24 of the same chapter. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the afflictions and lusts. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. We need to walk in the spirit. There's a very real struggle going on in our lives between the flesh and the spirit. And you and I must know this, that we can't serve both masters. One must be in control. Either the flesh is controlling our lives as believers, and we're living fleshly carnal lives, pursuing the flesh, pursuing the, so the desires of the flesh, or we're walking in the spirit, fulfilling the desires of the spirit in our lives, walking the new nature, obeying God. But you can't serve both. You can't serve two masters. We saw it on Wednesday night when pastor was preaching. You can't serve two masters. For you'll love the one and hate the other, or you hate the one and love the other. But you can't serve two masters. And when it comes to our lives, either the flesh is in control or the spirit's in control. When the spirit's in control, we're not walking in the flesh. When we're walking in the flesh, the spirit is not in control. And in Romans chapter 8 and verse 5, he amplifies this, amplifies this thought for us. Look in Romans 5, 8, verse 5. For they don't after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. For they don't after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. This is the struggle. This is the reality. If you and I are walking in the flesh, we can't please God. If you and I are walking in the spirit, then the flesh has no course in our lives. The truth is that the flesh cannot do anything good. You and I can seek to stop doing things that our flesh does. We can decide in ourselves that we're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to go there anymore. We're not going to listen to that anymore. We're not going to read that anymore. We're not going to watch that anymore. We're going to do all these things, but we're doing it in the flesh. The reality is this old flesh can't do those things. The flesh cannot do anything good. The flesh cannot do anything righteous. The flesh cannot do anything to obey God. Everything the Bible says about the flesh is negative. Romans 7, 18, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. John 3, 63, the flesh profiteth nothing. Philippians 3, 3, have no confidence in the flesh. And I could list verse after verse after verse after verse. In the New Testament, it tells about the flesh. And there's not one verse that says the flesh is good. Not one verse says the flesh can do good. In fact, over and over again, we're told that if you and I are going to have the victory, we need to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And if you and I depend upon the energy of the flesh, you and I cannot serve God. We cannot please God. 
nor can we do any good thing. It's not possible. And the reason why believers fail and the reason why believers get frustrated and discouraged is because we try in the flesh to do the will of God. We seek to have people conformed to a standard, to a set of rules, to a set of principles, and not being transformed by the renewing the mind and being transformed by the Word of God. You see, we have to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God as a reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing your mind, where you may prove that it's good and perfect and acceptable will of God, Romans 12, 1 and 2. You and I are to be daily renewed in the mind. But if you and I seek to do the will of God in the flesh, we will fail. And I can stand up here today and give you a list of do's and don'ts. Here are the things God doesn't want you to do. Here are the list of things God wants you to do. Now go and do them. I can even put you on a guilt trip so that you left this place and this week you tried to live by all those principles. But if you do it in the flesh, you'll fail every time. Because the flesh has no power, no capacity to do good. The flesh is evil. The flesh is carnal. The flesh is fleshly. It wants to pursue sin. You have to walk in the Spirit to have the victory. You see, if we yield to the Holy Spirit, then we have the power needed to obey His will. The flesh will never serve the law of God. Because the flesh is at war with God. And you never realize that. There's a war going on. There's a struggle going on in you and I. The flesh is struggling against the spirit. And this old flesh will never do good. It's no point you and I trying to live by a standard set of rules and practices. You and I need to simply get ourselves in a place where we walk in the spirit, yielding ourselves to the spirit of God. So that he might give us the victory. The power is from him. You see, the spirit can only obey the law of God. And therefore, the secret of doing good is to yield to the Holy Spirit. Paul hinted at this back in verse 4 of chapter 7. Look back there, if you would, please. So wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Because we are united to Christ, we can bring fruit, forth fruit unto God. It's our union with Christ that enables you and I to serve God acceptably. And this is what we need to understand, that when you read the New Testament doesn't matter where you go, when it talks about sanctification, when it talks about being holy as he is holy, when it talks about what we're to do as believers, everywhere in the New Testament, it always spells out that you and I can only have the victory as we walk in the Spirit, as we allow the Spirit of God to possess us, control us. As it says in Ephesians, be not drunk with wine, it says, but be filled with the Spirit. As we allow the Spirit of God to fill us, he then empowers us, to walk in accordance with his word. This is a glorious truth, beloved. 
See, we don't have to sit down and struggle daily with our sins, seeking to stop doing it and saying, well, today I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this. We simply need to come and yield ourselves to God and allow the Spirit of God to empower us to have the victory. Look at Philippians chapter 2, please. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. He says in verse 13 of Philippians chapter 2, he says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. It's God that works in us. Both to will, to give us the will to do his will, and also give us the power to do his will. He worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. <laughs> Wonderful, we have a great God, don't we? You see, we did nothing to get saved. He did it all. Jesus paid it all. All he required of you and I was that by faith we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. And when you and I placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, guess what happened? We got saved. But you know what he says about sanctification? I'll do it all too. I'll do it all too. You see, the just shall be saved by faith, but the just shall also live by faith. You see, it's you and I need to live by faith so that the Spirit of God might empower us to be holy as He is holy. You see, the legalist seeks to obey the law in the flesh. And as a result, they become a Pharisee whose outward actions are acceptable but whose inward attitudes are despicable. It's not one of the Lord said of the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 27, that their whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness. That's the legalist. The legalist sets out a set of rules and standards and says, live by these. If you live by these, then you are sanctified. In fact, you have to live by these rules to prove you're saved. Because if you don't keep this standard, then you're not saved. Of course, who sets the standard? Not the Word of God. Usually they set the standard because they set the standard a place where they're already at. Okay, So this is where I live. So anybody who doesn't live where I'm living, they must not be saved. But then they also judge our sanctification by a set of rules. But God says, no, you don't do that. That's not how... It's determined, it's not by legalistic practices, by do's and don'ts, by rules and regulations. It's by walking in the Spirit. As believers, our minds are renewed under Christ. And therefore they're a slave to the law of God, but the flesh is a slave to sin. And the only way for us to be sanctified is not to keep the law... We'll live by a set of rules and regulations. For if we depend upon the energy of the flesh, we cannot serve God. Please God to do anything. But if we would yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, then we have the power needed to obey His will. And we're going to see that in Romans chapter 8 when we get there. But today, let's, as believers, yield our members to the Spirit that we might have the victory.
Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this day for your word. We thank you that the victory is in Christ Jesus. That while there is a battle, there is a struggle raging in every born-again believer's heart and life. That with the mind we want to serve you, with the flesh we serve sin. Help us, Father God, to win the victory by being transformed by the renewal of our minds daily to your glory. Bless us now and commend your word to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we shut the 10.